for the week that has been for some church members. But we lift all of them up today. So open up our hearts, quiet our minds, and let us meet with you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can we put on the next hat now? Good morning. So as Andrew went down this week, I had to figure out what we were going to talk about. And of course, it's the week before Christmas. It's that last Sunday that we're together before Jesus comes. So I looked at the journey of Bethlehem. And I wanted to look at the actual journey. What can we learn from the actual journey? We know the story. We're going to read the story. But we all know the story. But I want to look at the little nip, the nip bitty parts that people sometimes don't look at. So when you think of a journey, a lot of us think of vacation because we pack our bags, right? We all jump in the car. We load our cooler with the snacks, with the drinks. You get the video games together. You get the video ready to play in the back of the Suburban. Whatever it is, you're ready to roll. And we all have those memories. And as I was sitting at my computer the other day, the one memory that kept coming back was from when I was 15. Now, that year, my parents decided that we were going on a journey, and it was a journey from start to finish. We loaded up in a 15-passenger van. It was my parents, my grandparents, my brother, his fiancée at the time, myself, and my cousin. And we were going to the Grand Canyon. If you've never been there, it's a hole in the ground. It's a big ditch. You, the, first, the first view is like, yes, and then you're like, yep, seen this view, we're good, can we go home? But we drove for 24 hours straight in a 15-hour passenger van to make it to Flagstaff. But it wasn't the Grand Canyon that I remember. It was Old Tucson City. Now, for those of y'all that like Westerns, a lot of Westerns were filmed in this particular town. The OK Corral is there. It's a pretty cool tourist attraction. You should go. I'm just putting it out there. But the one thing that has always stuck in my mind is that was the day that my grandfather and I got in trouble. Now, if you were looking for trouble, my grandfather was the one to go to because he was willing and able and could get us in more trouble than we ever thought we could ever possibly get in. But in Old Tucson City, they had the Undertaker store, okay? So Scott's going to show a picture. So what you see is my grandfather standing in a, ca a coffin outside of the Undertaker store trying to see if this particular one would work or if we would need to have one made because that was how it worked back then. I thought it was funny. My grandfather thought it was hysterical. My dad, who was, you can't see because it's dark, he's in the picture, he's been over double laughing. But what you don't see is my grandmother. My grandmother comes out of the general store that is beside the undertaker, which I thought was kind of one-stop shopping right there, guys. But she came out, and she begins to yell at us. We probably deserved it. We weren't anywhere near death. We didn't really need a casket, but 
We needed to know if they had one available, if we needed it, or if we needed to pre-order it. But it is that moment that I still laugh at, because I'm thinking, some people would look at that and think, well, that's just a 70-year-old man and a 15-year-old girl just having the time of their lives on vacation. But my grandmother saw something different. She saw something that we didn't see. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what we don't see inside the Christmas story. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And we are going to read 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, and shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had, what had been told about them, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they've been told. So a lot of us are going to journey this weekend or this week. Some of us are going to have parties. We're going to have social events. We're going to go to grandma's house, aunt and uncle's houses, to the mall and to the stores. And I was out yesterday, so if you're not done, my prayers are with you, okay? But we're going to look first at Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph's journey on the surface looks pretty cut and dry. Mary was pregnant. They were engaged. But they had unexpected events and curves that hit them along the way. And the first one was Mary's pregnancy. In a time when being pregnant and unwed was not a good thing. People ridiculed and it could call, you could be stoned at this point in time. But there was more to that than what was on the surface. Mary was engaged to Joseph. And Joseph knew it wasn't his. 
And that puts a whole other scheme of issues on, this, on, the, on the story itself. But we know what happens. Joseph eventually comes through with the angel, and he, he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. And he sticks with Mary. But can you just put yourself in Mary's in shoes? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Even in our society today, being an unwed mother isn't a perfect situation. Is it acceptable? Yeah, we're not going to take you out into the parking lot and stone you. You don't have to worry about that, right? But in this circumstance, it was not an easy situation for them to be in. When Mary found out, she didn't go straight to Joseph and say, guess what? having a baby. She left. She went to visit Elizabeth for a while. So Joseph had no idea. Public humiliation, exile, no way to earn money. All of these things were in Mary's mind the entire time as she had to figure out what they were going to do. The second curveball was the actual journey to Bethlehem. And this is something I spent some time looking at because it fascinated me. Just like I said earlier, when we go on a journey, we pack our bags, we jump in our car, we crank the AC up, and we go on about our way. A lot of us aren't nine months pregnant. A lot of us aren't having to walk 90 miles that it was from Bethlehem to, or Nazareth to Bethlehem. We're not living in a tent at night trying to figure out how to deal with the bears, the wild boars. And at nine months pregnant, she traveled between eight and ten days to get to Bethlehem. Now, Joseph could have left her home. That was an option. But they did it in obedience, and Joseph didn't want to leave her alone. The next one was the inability to find lodging. A lot of us pick up our phone, Priceline.com, Google, and we know exactly where we're staying when we get there. They had no idea. To me, that creates anxiety. I need to know I'm going to have a shower and a bed when I get to where I'm going. But they didn't really know. And there were a lot of reasons for that. We think they were going to a hotel to an inn, but that wasn't necessarily the case of the time. A lot of times when they traveled like that, they stayed with family members, so they were knocking on family members' doors trying to find somewhere to stay. We know they didn't and ended up in a barn, in a cave probably. But Joseph must have second-guessed himself a couple of times. Did we really need to go for the census? How bad would it have been if we didn't get counted? Should I have left Mary at home? curve balls that life throws us. And the last one, no one was really around for Jesus' birth. He didn't have a midwife come help. I'm sure Joseph went and tried to find help because I'm trying, I couldn't imagine me and Scott giving birth by ourselves with no help. That would give me anxiety. But in those times, and Rachel's going, yeah, it would give her anxiety too. Right? Uh, you know, I'm just saying. But they were in a cave or a stable of some sort. They weren't in a hospital room. They were away from anyone familiar. 
Mary didn't have all the things that she had prepared for this baby, but God entered the world as a dependent infant, completely at the mercy of Mary and Joseph. But we all have those unexpected curveballs in our life, in our journey. Situations that we didn't see coming, that medical report that you didn't expect, the accident you didn't see coming, the job being over, having a baby, losing a baby, losing someone without warning, moving. And it seems through every curve, we have to figure out what we should do. What is that right thing? What is that easiest thing? And what is the best thing? Do I make a choice based on what's best in my own mind? That's what Joseph decided until the angel came to him in a dream. He was walking away. I'm done. I don't want any part of that. And isn't that what we do a lot? Reason it out before we pray. Weigh out all the options and we make a business decision before we seek the will of God or the mind of Christ. Reasoning it out is not necessarily a bad thing because we, whatever decision we make, we have to live with it. But if we neglect seeking God, then we become our own worst enemy. Sometimes we make the choice based that will benefit those closest to us. What's going to be easiest for those around us? It's what Mary and Joseph could have done by not going to Bethlehem. But if they had chose not to go, the prophecy would not be filled and the Messiah would not be born where the Messiah had to be born. Sometimes this is, we think this is the noble thing to do, to take everybody else's thoughts and emotions and what's going to be easier for them and take it into consideration but again, if we don't seek the will of God, we can become our own worst enemy. But the shepherds is where I want to spend some time today. Because I think the shepherds give us more insight into the story than we give them credit for. Shepherds weren't rich people. They were common folk. They did not view themselves as God's gift to society. In fact, a lot of them were on the outskirts of society. They were not the social elite. They were just common, everyday people. A lot like us, right? Most likely the shepherds were tending their sheep just outside of Bethlehem. And some of those sheep were probably being um, prepared for the temple sacrifices that were coming up. Their job, obviously, was to guard the sheep to make sure they survived the night. Um, and it was not uncommon for a shepherd to have to pay for a lost sheep out of his own salary if he lost one. But at nighttime, the shepherds would take turns on watch during the night. And most likely, the watch time was about a three-hour period. And as I thought about that, I would love a night shift that was just three hours. That would be great. A three-hour shift, I could do that be pretty cool. And we don't really know what time the angel appeared to the shepherds. It could have been 1145. It could have been 245. It, it, you just never know. 
were there some shepherds already asleep? Were they already asleep? Or were some still sitting by the campfire singing and telling ghost stories? I don't know. We don't know. And we have no record of knowing what was going down when the angel appeared. But think about it. A lot of us have been outside at night. Your eyes adjust to the darkness, and any type of bright light startles you. So think about it. You're sitting by the campfire. You're talking to your friend beside of you. You're hanging out, maybe drinking some water, maybe eating some crackers. I don't know, okay? And all of a sudden, boom, there's an angel. A little startled. I probably would have fell off my rock. It probably wouldn't have been pretty. But we know that they were scared. I would be, I'm not sure about you, I would be scared. So here's the plot of the angels. So I want you to think about it. We have a story of life's routine being interrupted by God's messengers who brought a word from the Lord. But what did they do with that word? The shepherds were out in the field, or at least out in some field, and the word came. And this is what they went through. They had to have courage. The angel tells them, do not be afraid. The word gives courage to the fearful, and it gives courage to the discouraged. The word gives good news. The word is good news to those who have been battered by life. The word gives hope, a savior, and the world gives hope for a better tomorrow. The word also gives individual word. The use of you and us, and the word of the Lord is for us as individuals and as us as people, as a people of God. I think sometimes when we look at the shepherds, we see the shepherds as a whole. And we don't look at what each individual shepherd had to go through to get to the point of walking to the manger that night. And I think sometimes we get to the point where it's hard for us to hear what God is saying individually to us through the collectiveness of everyone else around us. But God still speaks today. He still speaks to us today. He still speaks to each one of us individually today. We'll still get that word from him. It may not be in an angel, but if it is, please text me. I would love to know, okay? If you're visited by it, I would love to know. And people doubt the shepherd's story because they don't believe that God speaks. But they're wrong. The problem is for so many of us, we're looking for that grand gesture, that bright light, that angel. They're looking for the bells and the whistles. But God is speaking in our hearts, and he's still speaking to us every day. I was talking to some kids, and it would be so easy if God walked in and said, Tanya, 
this is what I need you to do. Or if the angel Gabriel appeared and said, all right, Greenwood Hills, here's where we're going. That would be easy. A little bit awesome, but easy. Because we would know that it came straight from God. And the human side of us hears something and we're, well, is it God? Is it not? Is it the world? Is it me? Is this what I want? Is this what God's telling me to do? Well, how do I do that? And you get caught in that loop of doubt. But through the living words of the Bible, we can hear God again and again and again. He speaks through the experiences that we live through. Sometimes we learn the most about God from things that happen. Often in circumstances of our lives are designed to wake us up, to take us deeper and let us know God is working in our lives. We've all been there. We've made that stupid mistake. And we're thinking, here we are. Now what do we do? But guess who's still with us? He's still there and he's still talking. God speaks through a spirit. He might use the teachings of a speaker, of our Sunday school teacher, a writer, a singer, a friend that we haven't talked to in months. We don't hear because we're preoccupied and distracted. We get so busy with life that we spend most of our time on the run. We have obligations and commitments. We would love to sit down and rest. We would love to sit down and spend time with God in the Word. But there's just no time. I have an illustration, and I debated about talking about it. We'll talk later. But for those of y'all that don't know, Rachel struggled in school. She struggled. And mom struggled right along with her because mom couldn't fix it. She could learn. It wasn't that she couldn't learn. She thought she couldn't learn. But she learns differently. And it took years to get to that point. And as we struggled through, and as we struggled through, and as we struggled through, we finally found a teacher to meet us where we were. To see past the norm, to see past the normal child, and see Rachel as God saw her. She learned at a different rate. She had homework at a different rate. And for her, it worked wonders. She was reading on grain level eventually, which they told me she would never do. But during an IEP meeting in ninth grade, I'm, I sat across the table from her ninth grade English teacher, and she slid a test paper across the table at me, thinking, oh, this is going to be good. Rachel wasn't in the room. Rachel had went to get some papers that Mr. Lovell had ran off for. And she said, Tanya, I need you to look at this paper. And I was like, 
This was the test we took yesterday. Okay. Now, Rachel had made like an 82 and 84, a solid B. I was proud of her. I'm thinking, I can, a B, that's great. And as she began to talk, she said, I need to tell you something else about this test. Now, Rachel had modified tests. Rachel didn't have the whole test that everybody else had, okay? But this test was the exact same test that everybody else in her class had taken. And Rachel had passed it when everyone else around her told her she couldn't. So what did that teach me? Taught me a lot that day. In fact, I was crying when Rachel came back to that, that meeting. And she couldn't understand the why. We get so caught up in being on the fast track that sometimes we forget we need to slow down. And sometimes in that slowing down, we can catch back up. And in that slowing down, we can hear God just a little bit better. If we're going to keep from missing Christmas, we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to be like Rachel and take that step back. Our generation, my generation, we work. We worship our work, we worship our play, and we play at our worship. And is it any wonder that our lives are often spiritually empty when we're not hearing a word from the Lord and one that brings courage, joy, and hope? A lot of what we do is necessary. We have to work to pay bills. We have to do all of those things. But we have to make time for, for Christ. So how do we respond when God talks to us? How do we respond to that? We fear it. The shepherds were terrified, but the angel said, do not fear. Don't be afraid. We've got this. You've got this. God's got this. But are we, are we afraid of what others are going to say if we take that step of faith? If we pray over our meal? If we wear our Jesus church to school? If we carry our Bible in our book bag? Are we afraid that what God has told us might not work? Are we stepping out on faith and are we going to fall flat on our face? Are we afraid that we might have heard wrong? God tells us time and time again, do not be afraid. Do we doubt it? The shepherds could have doubted their eyes and ears, their senses, and they could have said, something's wrong. This is not what we think it is. We're just going to stay right here. People hear words from God and they doubt it. That's not really God. 
So we're just going to hang out here by our campfire and just let it go. We're going to be good. We can ignore it. The shepherds could have let any number of things keep them from checking out the story that they had just heard. But what about us? Do we get sidetracked? Do we get sidelined? Do we say, I'll get to that tomorrow? Oh, I really have this appointment in 15 minutes. I'll do that this afternoon. This is one of my favorites. Do we debate it? They could have sat around the campfire and debated the issue until there was nothing left to debate. Odds are, a lot of us in this room probably would have debated as well. Could we afford to leave the sheep? Who's going to go? And why do they get to go and we don't get to go? What if the owner of the sheep found out? What if something happened while we were gone? What if we were mistaken about what we thought we heard? A lot of times, we talk ourselves out of and we doubt ourselves out of acting in faith. Do we just flat out reject it? They could have rejected it saying, yep, it's not for me, not my thing, I'm good. I'm hanging out with the sheep, that's my job, that's what they pay me for. And a lot of times, we reject what God's telling us because we don't like it. We don't like it because it means change. Or it means doing something new and awkward. It puts us out there. It puts us in a place that we could possibly fall on our face. We could get laughed at. Or it means we could be doing something that we just flat don't want to do. But the shepherds didn't do any of these things. Ultimately, we know what they did. They heard the word from the Lord, and they responded with action. The journey of the shepherds began with a step of faith, and they said, let's go. Here we are. Let's go. Get moving. And that's the right way that we need to respond to the word of the Lord. Take action take that step. The shepherd's faith led them to find Jesus. They saw Jesus. The first names in the guest book at the stable was ordinary people. They came straight from work, smelly, dirty, and nasty. They weren't in their best. They were probably at their worst. They told others. It was such a wonder that they told everyone they saw. Those shy, awkward, smelly shepherds were stopping strangers on the street to tell them about the baby that they saw in the manger. Maybe many or most of the people they thought were a little crazy. But they weren't. They returned right back to the situations in their life but it was changed. When they responded appropriately to that message, they discovered a wonder that changed their lives forever. 
I don't want you to misunderstand me that I'm not trying to say that the moment the shepherds met Jesus and lives changed that they didn't have any problems ever. I'm sure they still had days where they didn't really care for their jobs. They still had to battle, battle a prejudice that was attached to being a shepherd. They still argued. They still yelled. They still fought. Maybe they had struggles in their marriage. Maybe many of their outward circumstances didn't change at all. But what did change was their heart. They found a joy that the world cannot deliver and cannot deny. They found a wholeness that they could not achieve through materialism, and they found a peace that no bank account could produce. These men found a love that no person could ever give them. They found the Lord, and so can you. When God speaks, it's important that we take appropriate action. The message of Christmas calls us for that action. For some, God calls us to our most basic and essential, essential action, and that's to give your life to Him. He's not looking for admiration. He's not calling for your approval. He wants your heart and your life. And he wants it as much that he came to earth to reach you. Maybe you're one of those that keeps faith on the fringe of your life. Just, just close enough to reach, but not close enough to change. Are you content enough to give God a nod every now and again in the hopes that you'll be on good terms with him if he's really up there? Christmas is for you. The message of salvation is offered to you free of charge. What would your response be in Mary and Joseph's shoes? Is your faith strong enough to withstand the curveballs in life? Or will we just fall apart? Will we trust God and that his provisions are enough? Or are we going to try to make our own way? What about the shepherds? Would we drop everything and go see the Christ child? Or will we be sitting around the campfire debating and discussing and miss the greatest event in history? Are we hearing what God's trying to say to us in our everyday life, in our worship time, in our long time, in those little mundane moments when we're with our family? We're in our last week of Advent. Jesus is coming. And a lot of you know that my life is crazy. It is insane. And I have waited for this Sunday for a month and a half. Because tonight, after the Christmas play, my life slows down. I don't have 15 things to get done. I don't have 15 props to make Rachel make. All I have left is spending time with my family, wrapping some presents, and baking some food. It's the only thing on my schedule for the whole week. I am so excited. But I want to challenge you. 
I challenged myself this year, every year, and we are doing it this year. I want to challenge you to be present. For some of us, that's hard because when you're in the moment, as a parent at least, your brain is 15 steps ahead of what's coming up, right? Because you were eating dinner, but I have dishes to do. How am I going to get all of them in the dishwasher? How am I going to stack them, right? So it's, it's that. But I want you to be present. And that's a little tidy, I know, I'm sorry. Look past the craziness of the journey and spend quiet time listening to God. Don't let the excitement of the season allow you to miss the greatest gift that we have ever seen, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear God and wait joyfully for what he will show you. Enjoy the moments. Time marches on, and our relationship with Christ grows deeper and deeper. But see what he is showing you this Christmas season. Now, as I pray through what I, and Glenn's already holding his candle up. He's like, Tanya, I'm ready. I'm ready. You have these thoughts of what a service should end like right before Christmas. And I'm no different. I had thoughts, possibilities. I'm thinking, what are we going to do? So here's what we're going to do. We are going to... Rachel and Emma are going to join me on stage. They were waiting. What we're going to do is I want everyone to stand up. You're going to grab your candle. And if we could come to the front a little more, closer together. We make sure I'm turned off. Emma. So pass the light. We're going to end this Christmas service as a family, as a church family. You're going to be careful. You promise me? All right. Brenda, we're going to burn the church down. Don't burn the church down. Turn on my mic. Please don't burn me. Hey, you owe me money. I know. <laughs> All right. You be good. Yeah. Thank you. Are we lit? Yeah. All right, we are going to end singing a medley of classic Christmas hymns. And then we're going to pray together as a group, and then you will be free to enjoy your Christmas season. All right, Scott.
week of Advent and the excitement of your coming, let us slow down this week. Let us remember that you are the light of the world and that light lives with each, within each one of us. Open up our hearts this week as we encounter those who may be struggling, who may be dealing with sickness or grief or any of those things that are just hard during the Christmas season. Keep us safe this week and we are so excited for your coming. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Tanya, mm -hmm. oh, it's down my arm. This was from Emma's. I went to tilt it up, and it 